Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This is Steve Woodruff, author of Clarity Wins, Get Heard, Get Referred. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now on with the show. Today, we welcome Steve Woodruff to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Clarity Wins, Get Heard, Get Referred. Steve Woodruff is known as the king of clarity. In a world full of noise and distraction, Steve helps businesses craft a message so clear that they can be heard, remembered, and referred. In over 30 years of business experience, he has consulted with companies ranging from solo startups to top five pharma companies. And interesting fact, he is the father of five sons, one of whom served in the United States Marine Corps. Oorah! Steve, congratulations on Clarity Wins, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, thanks. It's a real pleasure to be here, Doug. And I don't mean to minimize uh, what the other four boys have done. Uh, you've talked about them uh, in the book, and it was uh, very, very interesting. It sounds like you and your wife have done pretty well. It's been an adventure, that's for sure. Uh, there seems to be a genetic predisposition on the boys because we couldn't come up with anything other than boys. And I was one of four boys. My dad was one of three boys. So it just seems like it was predisposed. We we're going to have boys. That's it. Well, that hey, it's all about the niche, right? That's correct. <laughs> okay. So you live in the Nashville area which is a great city. It's one of my favorite places. My daughter goes to school just about an hour away from there. And we've had two other authors from that area, and they've all three of you have written excellent books. I, and one of them, I believe, is a friend of yours, Pamela Wilson. 
Oh, yes. Pamela and I collaborate on a number of things, and uh, she's been a very valued advisor to me. Yes. So she wrote uh, Master Content Strategy. She wrote Master Content Marketing. Interviewed her twice, and I I look over uh, in the office here, and I see my content director on his desk. (laughs) Both both her books are there, along with a couple others that we've just found uh, invaluable. And the other author, uh, you may not know him, uh, David Baker. I don't know that name. He wrote The Business of Expertise, and he... It was a, it's a fantastic book, had a big impact on me and our business. And in the book, he talks quite a bit about uh, niching and, and expertise. So it was really, there were parts of your book that were right on board with, with what his book uh, delved into uh, very deeply. So, well, I'll have to introduce you. Yeah, we have a very active networking environment here in Nashville, so I'm surprised I haven't run into them. And one of the main reasons I moved here was because uh, I believe very firmly in referral networking. And it is something in the Middle Tennessee area that is baked into the culture. People here meet for coffee, introduce each other, collaborate, and it's in the DNA here. And I absolutely love that. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, maybe that's why it's such a great place to live and work. And a lot of people are moving there too. hundred people a day into the Nashville area. Wow, that's great. So I noticed at the beginning of the book, there were uh, accolades for your book, including from um, Pamela Wilson, who we just mentioned, and another uh, mutual friend of ours, Drew McClellan, from mm-hmm. the uh, Agency Management Institute. And then I also noticed there were some some even bigger hitters that commented on your book. One of them was uh, Leo Tolstoy. I, yes. I did not know he was still around, but he wrote about your book, Insufficiently verbose, period. Mm -hmm. It's 750 pages short of a true classic. But the one that really got me was uh, from this fellow I had not heard of named J. Argon. J. Argon. Listeners, did you get it? J. Argon. And he is the chief obfuscation officer at a company called Spewing Fog and Smoke. And he (laughs) He wrote, does not leverage agile frameworks to provide a robust synopsis for optimal enterprise-wide deployment. Needs more scalable, iterative approaches to corporate strategy vis-a-vis fostering collaborative thinking to further the overall value proposition. We prefer a worldview of disruptive ambiguity. My goodness, I, uh, I read that and I thought, oh, what a relief. I'm not going to have to read a book like that. And it was definitely... <laughs> That was definitely not the case. Let me just read from um, page two here for the listener. This really is in the book. Not joking now. Okay, referrals are more important than search engine optimization. They're more important than digital advertising, your LinkedIn description, which is probably lame, your tweets, what shoes you wear, or how firm your handshake is. Referrals are the direct path from doing a good job to getting more business. And the reason you're not getting more of them is that people don't know how to describe what you do because you don't know how to describe what you do. This book helps with that. And just reading the book, I, I, I loved it. So many great phrases, but the one that really uh, spoke to me in sort of my depraved manner was when you describe something not good as and you only did it once, and it was on page 110. Excrement wrapped in a blanket of fog. <laughs> Listeners, yeah. if you read this book, you will never produce excrement wrapped in a blanket of fog ever again, and it will benefit you tremendously. So 
why is it so hard for companies and people to answer the big question that is really central to your book, which is, so, what do you do? Well, there are several reasons why it's difficult. Um, if you want to get into the more uh, high-level philosophical reason, you have the problem that uh, Harvard psychologist Steven Pinker calls the curse of knowledge, which is we're so immersed in our own world and our own ideas and our own jargon and our own acronyms and all this stuff that we assume other people have this body of understanding that we have. And when we try to uh, say what we what we do or describe it, we often do not describe it in what I call human-ready language. Mm -hmm. So we're talking above people's heads, and they just tune us out. If we're not getting right to the point in simple language, within a few seconds, people will tune us out. That's one of the biggest problems. And then one of the other problems is we just try to get too much information across. We think, you know, we think we have to drop ship a white paper worth of information when we're talking to somebody, when all they have the space in their brain for is one simple concept. So a lot of what I seek to do in bringing clarity to a person and a company is, can we distill and crystallize down to the simplest, easiest to grasp concept so that within a few seconds, people will go, ah, I get it. Yes. Well, let's talk about the attention because there are, in, in truth, Steve, there are several uh, things from your book that uh, I'm stealing and I've done it for other books, but these are going into presentations. Yeah, well, of course, we'll full attribution. But you, you talk about something and it's like I want to say this to a lot of companies that we speak with um, every week. On page 11, you said your true fight is not against other businesses. It's for the attention of your audience the most precious commodity of all is attention. And could you explain how, how we've gone from you know, space in terms of buying audiences to what you describe as this wealth of information, which is what's contributing to this, what you call poverty of attention? Well, the problem is we not only have a wealth of information, we have a tsunami of information and stimulation that is surrounding us, and it's growing exponentially. When you look at the amount of time we now spend, the amount of hours every day we spend in front of screens and we spend consuming media, there are a lot of really interesting things out there that are going to take away people's attention, and a lot of them are sitting right in their pocket in a device that makes noise and vibrates and allows them to connect to the world. So unless our message is compelling and breaks through that noise, we don't stand a chance. There's just too much else. Uh, I was sitting down with uh, two people for coffee yesterday, and uh, we were at a cafe that had some outdoor tables. And every once in a while, uh, on the road outside, you'd hear one of those big trucks breaking. You know the sound, right? Mm -hmm. The Jake brake sound. And I was thinking, that's what it's like to try to compete in, in our marketplace. It's like having a constant flow of trucks in the background. And uh, our brain has this wonderful faculty called the reticular activating system, mm. which is designed to filter out noise. Uh, so of all the stimulation trying to get into our sensory inputs on any given day, the vast majority of it, and we're not even conscious of it, is just filtered out because the reticular activating system is looking only for what is new 
and relevant and interesting and kind of different, something that has a what's in it for me. So if our message isn't new, doesn't get right to the point, doesn't have some kind of relevance, we're just filtered out as more noise. Yes. And another one that's going to be carved in stone is um, nobody cares about you or your brand or your company. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it's the truth. And I could just imagine listeners uh, sitting around a conference room, marketers primarily, maybe sales folks too, but they're being ordered saying, no, you got to talk about our product. You got to talk about our product. I think it would be helpful for them to say, boss, let me just share a little science with you. This RAS, this reticular activating system, <laughs> seems, I, I wonder, has that been helpful for you to, to help people understand that it's not all, uh, all about them? Oh, it's absolutely key. Uh, in fact, it's a fairly straightforward piece of brain science, but it's one that so few marketing and salespeople know, and it is the absolute key to clear communication uh, on every level, not only in sales and marketing, but even in internal collaboration and emails and, and all of that stuff. If if we do not know how to craft our message in an RAS-ready format, no matter how good or smart we are, or even how well-designed our, our particular offering may be, we can't get through. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading about that, it brought to mind my own kids who are, uh, as I said, in college or uh, just uh, just graduated. And uh, it's, it's something that I'm reminded of almost on a daily basis, again, particularly as it relates to my kids. But you said, we tend to carry around a delusion that people actually care about what we have to say. Yes, I know. We, it's so important to us, and so we think it's, it's important to other people. And the fact is, uh, the two acronyms I do approve of in the book are the RAS and the WIIFM, yes. which uh, our brain is tuned to the radio station WIIFM all the time. What's in it for me? So whatever it is that we have to say, we've got to make sure that we couch it in a way that shows the value to the other person. If I'm just blabbing about Steve Woodruff, or if you're just blabbing about Doug Burdett, you know, okay, we like you, you're a nice guy, but you know what, I've got a life here, and unless what you have to say or offer is helpful, or what I have to say or offer is helpful, you're you're not that important at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. And just as an aside, I have been interviewed on some other podcasts in the past, and they want me to talk about myself and my life's journey and my greatest fears and hopes and what kind of tree I would be. And I don't do those anymore because I just don't think it's that interesting. If they want me to talk about maybe books that might be helpful or something that might be of value, sure. But I just, I don't even want other people to have to listen to, to stories about me. So it's like, I mean, if, if I understand that, I, I deeply understand what you're talking about. What are some of, the, some of the other specific barriers to embracing your message so that you can move away from what you describe as random acts of communication? <laughs> I've also heard uh, the term random acts of marketing, Rammies. Yes. What are some of the things that, uh, the barriers as well as what can people do to move towards a, a more clarity-driven approach? So the biggest barrier I have found out is uh, a, a word I try to change people's minds about uh, all the time in the book and, and when I speak to them, and that's the word pigeonhole. Yes. Um, so we tend as business people to have a visceral dislike for the idea of being pigeonholed because what we think that means is 
that we're going to lose opportunities because someone put us in the wrong box. So my point is that the way the brain is designed is we're all going to be pigeonholed. Whether we like it or not. Whether we like it or not, it doesn't matter. You're going to be pigeonholed because people only have a limited amount of brain space and they're going to attach a few limited hashtags to their perception of who you are or your company, and that's how they're going to store it. So our goal is to tell them the right hashtags to make the right message with the right symbols and the right statements and the right stories so that we go in the right pigeonhole because the fact is I want people to pigeonhole me. I want them to think of Steve not as the guy that likes to go hiking in the woods, which is true, or the guy that went to Vanderbilt University, which is true. I want them to think of the king of clarity. Why? Because those are the referrals I want is people that need clarity. You got to go talk to the king. And you are pigeonholed in my mind as the marketing book podcast guy. Now, there's a lot more to you. And I know that. Not really, Steve. Well, uh oh. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, it's about as interesting as it gets. No, I'm just kidding. But that's the thing is that our best work is in our pigeonhole, our best work is in our sweet spot. So let's define and own that sweet spot and then promote it. And this is the big hurdle that each individual and company has to get over is no, not everybody's your customer. No, not every opportunity is a good opportunity. Let's tell my audience what is the best opportunity because that's the work I want. Yeah. One little trick I've used, not trick, I'm sure I learned it elsewhere, but it was um, not just exclusive to me, was when I'm talking to a company and I'll say, who are your worst customers? Who are mm -hmm. the customers you'd like to fire? That always yep. gets the floodgates going. And then you're able to say, okay. Good. Well, it sounds different from your really good customers. Why don't you start focusing more on getting more of those really good customers? And often that gets the flywheel spinning. I want to mention another uh, scientific medical term that's in your book, and it's uh, GMO, but not the GMO a lot of people probably know. You say <laughs> that every person you're trying to reach suffers from a permanent case of GMO, gray matter overload, and it's not a disease. It's a hardwired reality. Again, mm -hmm. this is back to the uh, RAS, right? Yeah, we've got just too much stuff, too much stimulation, too many ideas. And we not only have all this external stuff coming at us, we also have all of our internal stuff. So that's part of the overload. And so I can't count on anybody memorizing five bullet points that I want them to know about me. That's yeah. ridiculous. Even somebody that really likes me isn't going to memorize five things. So my responsibility as a company or as an individual is to make my message, to craft my message so that it's easy to understand, easy to remember, and easy to refer. Uh, because once we understand that everyone in our audience is overloaded, that radically changes the way we're going to message. Right. And related to that, I want you to explain the concept of the memory slot. You tell people in networking meetings that they should assume that they're only going to get one small slot in your memory. Explain. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we'd like to think that we're so important that people are going to carve away an entire hard disk worth of information for us, but it's not true. And uh, people have so many different things to remember and so many different people to remember that we're lucky if we can occupy just one pixel in their head. So my, uh, my take on it is let's figure out what that pixel is and then let's drive it in in the easiest way. And if we can use an existing memory hook to get into that memory slot, that's even easier. So what would be an example of that? Uh, an example of that is I was I was talking with uh, my editor for this book, Josh Burnoff, who's a very high end author, editor, ghostwriter. Yes, and he wrote the forward too. He wrote the forward, mm-hmm. and I said, "Well, uh, Josh, your market positioning is you're like the Mercedes of book editors." And uh, later on, he changed it to Tesla. But <laughs> what I've done by saying Mercedes is I have taken an existing understanding in your mind of high-end, expensive, exclusive, and I've stolen it. And I have ha- I have hung something new on it. And those shortcuts to get into the memory slot are the quickest and most efficient way to get into people's minds and stay there so that they can actually remember and refer us. Because there's a thousand other things they can be thinking of, but there's only one Tesla of business book editors. That's Josh. Right. And I should add that Josh Burnoff is the author of what could be one of the greatest uh, book titles ever. He's the author of Writing Without Bullshit. Correct. Uh, holy cow. What a, what a great title. Now, related to this memory slot, you urge people and businesses to have a small number of stories ready to tell at a moment's notice. And we've had some other books on the podcast that are just excellent about the use of stories. Talk a bit about uh, some of the stories that, that people or, or should have ready about themselves or about their businesses. Stories are really critical uh, on the front end of clarity and then on the back end of clarity. So on the front end of clarity, and you alluded to this a few minutes ago, for me, the raw material of helping any company or person arrive at clarity is I get them to tell me stories. I ask questions. And some of those stories are, tell me about your good customers. Tell me about your bad customers. Tell me about your good experiences, bad customers, successes, failures, all that stuff. That is the raw material out of which the themes, the hashtags, the keywords emerge that show what the DNA of that company is all about, what the strengths are, what the unique differentiators are. So I always start with stories and then extract clarity out of the stories. Then what we do is when it's time to then think about, okay, here's our identity and here's our message, then we look back at stories and say, what are the stories that most reinforce this message? Let me tell you about a client where this happened, and it's a story that shows the ideal, sometimes even a negative story. Uh, here's why we don't do business with, for instance, government entities. And then you get one of these stories about all the regulations and the, all this other nonsense that happens when you try to do work for the government. Mm-hmm. Um, those stories, again, the brain is hardwired for stories. So uh, we can become much more fixed in the right places in people's minds if we skillfully tell success stories, sometimes failure stories, 
And one of the most important ones is origin and evolution stories. Mm. How did you get to this place in business? Well, I started by doing this, and then you know I went to this. And I tell people my story of how I landed on Clarity Consulting, which was I started a matchmaking business between vendors and pharmaceutical clients in the training industry. And in order to do this matchmaking correctly, I had to sit down with the training companies and help them differentiate, help them brand, find their message. Turns out I was really, really good at it. And uh, Clarity Consulting grew out of working with a group of companies in that particular context. And I realized that so many companies have no idea how to effectively message and I could help them to do that in less than a day. And why not do something like that that I absolutely love uh, for the rest of my life? And so that's how Clarity Consulting came. That was my part of my evolution story. Right. So I think it would have been helpful for me to tell stories. My, my dear late mother, as long as I was ever working, uh, you know, loved all her children very much and was always very interested. But the one question I always got from her was, so tell me again what it is you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I think maybe stories would have uh, would have been more helpful, but it brought to my, I, I, I thought of her when you said in the book, nobody will understand unless you make your message so crystal clear that even family members and strangers <laughs> can explain what you do. Right. So uh, it had uh, lots of meaning for me. So, Steve, we're not going to talk about The Elements of Style, which is one of the greatest books about writing, but I would like to talk about The Elements of Clarity mm. that are outlined in your book. What are some of them? Or, or Walk us through some of those elements of clarity. It really was the backbone of the book for me. Yeah, it's the backbone of finding clarity for a company because clarity goes beyond just messaging. It goes into strategy and direction. Mm -hmm. So uh, I like to say that I did a tremendous amount of R&D to come up with the five elements of clarity. R&D stands for ripoff and duplication. So everybody knows what the standard questions are for any journalist to write a good story. The what, the who, the why, the when, the how. It turns out that those questions, when, when they're answered in succinct, clear phrases, are the five elements of clarity. What is exactly what is it that I am doing or offering or providing as far as value to the market? For whom is who specifically are my customers, and in particular, who are my ideal or bullseye customers, yes. the ones that I do the best work for, not just like 7 million people. The why is what are the business and emotional drivers that would make people open their wallet? What is the pain they're feeling? What is the hope that they have? What is it they're looking for? And that has to be couched in terms of felt need, not just abstract truth. The how uh, is what is your superpower? Mm -hmm. What is the thing about your particular company or your makeup or whatever it is you do that makes you outstanding and differentiated compared to 25 others? And finally, the where is what is the sector or location where you do your work is it could be geographical, local, regional, national. It could be virtual. It could be a certain vertical market. In fact, I was having this conversation just yesterday 
with someone who was working with, she does a similar type of branding and strategy work for a very particular sector. And she was working with one of these companies that was kind of small to midsize. And they could not figure out if they were national or not. This was a, the big where question. She was getting all these different answers about, are we really national? Do we have national scope? Can we support national? Do we do chains or just solos? And this one missing element of clarity was impacting everything that they do, all their messaging to clients, the business they were pursuing, the business they weren't pursuing. Because they could not figure out what they were on the where front, this was creating incredible misalignment and inefficiency in the whole thing. Mm. But when a company has a clear, succinct, aligned understanding of the what, the for whom, the how, the why, and the where, all of a sudden, you've got a strategy roadmap where you know what to say no to, you know what to say yes to, and you know exactly what to tell people as far as here's what we're looking for. Mm, yes. Well, as it relates to that what – do you find that a lot of companies focus on what they're doing rather than the problem they're solving for their clients? Yeah, sometimes they do. Sometimes their what is very generic, like we provide marketing solutions. Okay, well, that's great. You and 16 million other companies. So that doesn't tell me anything. But if you say we provide online marketing expertise for real estate agents in the middle Tennessee area that are trying to approach high, you know, you get into these real specifics. Starting to get into some of the pain that they have. The pain, you, you, start, you mentioned the for whom. Now I can envision what you're wanting to do is paint a picture for me of exactly what it is you're doing for whom and what the particular is. Because then I can know, number one, whether I need you, and I can then envision, number two, someone I could refer you to because you've been specific enough. Mm -hmm. But if you just say, uh, I'm a banker, well, okay. <laughs> I've been someone. to one of those. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's not good enough. And uh, I tell people all the time, every person we meet is a potential goldmine of referral business if we know how to be specific and clear enough to plant our message in their head, they might not need us, but they may, their neighbor might need us. Yes. And if I can paint that picture accurately enough, they will suddenly go, oh, I know somebody that does that, and I've got to introduce you to so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Now, Steve, careful listeners will have just heard you say the S word, and it's not the S word that a lot of people think of. I assume you're doing pretty well, but I got the impression that you would be a zillionaire if you had $10 for every company that advertised itself as providing solutions. <laughs> Why does that word grind your gears? Solutions is a, a cheap throwaway word for saying, we don't know what we do, so we're just going to have a, a business-sounding word that means stuff. We do stuff. We provide solutions. What are solutions? I don't know. Whatever we say they are. And uh, I think companies use this as a cheap out but of uh, not really being specific about what they do. They say, well, we do this stuff in a sort of this general idea, this general area, and maybe we'll change. So we'll just call it all solutions. 
it used to be maybe 15, 20 years ago when it was used more in the technology realm and people were doing custom crafted uh, IT solutions. You know, it had some meaning there. Now it's ridiculous. Now everybody's solutions. And uh, I went by a place that that is for uh, older people to live, and it says Senior Living Solutions. You know, it's it used to be a rest home, or it used to be something else, but now it, that's solutions too. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know. I don't want to buy a candle from somebody who's doing wax burning solutions. I'd rather buy a candle, you know? <laughs> it so, sounds like something Jay Argon would have said. Oh, yes. It's, it's part of the jargon. And what it does is it actually undercuts communication. It doesn't create communication. It doesn't create an image, in my mind, of what the heck you do. And uh, so I, I just despise the word. Uh, and if you've got it in, in the title of the company, and many people do, then you better have some specific in the tagline because the tagline can then let you explain exactly what those particular offerings are. Mm-hmm. I think they should also have to pay a tax just using that word. <laughs> if they use the word solutions or any of the I words agree. that Jay Argon mentioned – Oh my goodness, yes. Well, I, I, as anybody who's connected to me knows, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and elsewhere, I go crazy on on jargon, and I find it all the time on on websites and LinkedIn profiles, and and it's just so much gobbledygook, and it does not communicate anything. This was the thing that that Josh Burnoff and I bonded over years ago because it's been his concern too that people write a bunch of crap. And and nobody knows what the heck they're saying, and I, that that's not communication. No, not at all. And let's remind folks of how many more things there are that people have to be focusing on, including that machine in your pocket that uh, provides unlimited cat videos. Yes. So let's not lose the opportunity to talk about referrals. When you you talk about networking through the land of of, of referrals, you talk about the importance of being referral worthy. Mm-hmm. Explain what explain what that is, and and also, could you talk a little bit about what the vast majority of people think of as as a a referral? So, referral worthy to me is something that you really have to earn by competence and a track record of good service. You know, people have to want to refer you. You've mm-hmm. got to do a great job. You've got to engage people. You've got to be excellent. So referral worthy has to do essentially with your, your work ethic and, and your working in your strengths and, and your character. Uh, and uh, there's not much I can train you about that. You either are or you aren't. Um, being referral ready, though, is what I talk about in the book, which is enabling people to refer you because you've equipped them with the right words and the right thoughts and the right ideas so that they think of you at the right time. And so that's where uh, crafting your, uh, what I call a memory dart, uh, mm-hmm. I don't believe in elevator speeches, I believe in something even better called a memory dart, where if I can plant the king of clarity into your mind and say, look, if you know of anybody that's really struggling with their focus and their direction with their work, or they're, they're trying to do too many things, or their message is not rising through the noise, just send them to the king of clarity. Mm-hmm. And that's that. And I view referrals as something that not only customers can give, but anybody can give. Any of our advocates can give referrals if we paint a vivid enough picture in their minds of who we help and how we help them. So I see referral opportunities as a major thing that has been 
undervalued. Every time I stand in front of a group, I say, what are the, what's the best business? How does it come to you? And the answer is always the same. Referrals. It's not SEO. It's not sales efforts. It's not billboards. It's referrals. Well, if that's true, what kind of resources are we pouring into becoming referral-ready because that's the best business, and we all know it is. But don't people and think that it's just they just happen automatically? They don't realize there's quite a bit of engineering they can put into this to make more of them appear? Absolutely. It's not, it's not enough to do a good job. I mean, that's great, but that's not enough to gain a referral. What I have found is many people ask their customers who they are or what they do, and even their customers don't have a clear picture of what they do or what the message is because they only see one piece of the elephant. And you, we know that, that analogy where you have multiple people that are blindfolded touching different parts of the elephant and describing <laughs> different things. Mm-hmm. This is true of customers. So we actually have to proactively equip our employees, our customers, our neighbors, our vendors over and over again with the succinct single most important message because it is guaranteed that people will not get what you do unless you make sure they get it. And the metaphor of uh, elevator pitch, no. Memory dart, yes. See how (laughs) – okay, we've declared war on solutions, jargon, elevator pitch, all good things. Thank you. You're you're doing a community service, you and uh, Josh. Um, But – there was another book that was on not too long ago by the great Jay Bear, uh, Talk mm. Triggers. And I, I should add that it was so much fun for me to read the book because you mentioned so many other books and authors that I've, I've either read their books or been able to interview them or, or even meet them. But remind listeners why word of mouth marketing is the fastest route to success. Well, I see. I was very excited when I, when I, I was writing my book and I, I saw Jay's book coming out and then uh, Mark Schaefer's, which came out on Marketing Rebellion, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a meta narrative here, which yes. is we're going to return, we are returning to the human roots of marketing, to person to person, to the spoken word, the personal recommendation of a referral or advocate or word of mouth. And The thing with all of them is that if you've got a differentiator, if you've got something about you that's special, that's what's going to get people to talk. If you're a commodity, nobody's going to refer you. Nobody's going to do word of mouth. Nobody's going to be your advocate. You've got to have something special. And Jay's book is loaded with these wonderful examples of companies that have come up with in their in the warp and woof of the company it's sewn into the operations of the company not just some message not a stunt something that makes them talk aboutable and uh, and Mark's book on on marketing rebellion talks about becoming human companies again and and people wanting to advocate for us so I see the the referral, the word of mouth, the advocacy marketing, the human marketing, all as part of one big movement that is overdue in this uh, time that we have gone over to algorithms, mass marketing, and noise. Amen. And Jay Baer was the first to say that his book, the one he wrote with uh, Daniel Lemon, was not really a marketing book because everything in there isn't from the marketing department. It's about a company, as you said, engineering some aspect of their business 
to create a experience the customers have that they then want to tell other people about that. So, right. Steve, as it relates to networking, of course, that's a word that makes people uncomfortable and and they shouldn't feel that way. But what are some of the ways that people can improve their networking game? The biggest thing for me, besides having an effective memory dart where you can actually explain yourself in a few moments, for me, the most effective way anybody, I don't care if you're an introvert, I don't care what your makeup is, is by doing what I call story asking. Yes. Uh, so storytelling, we, we know what that is. Right. Story, storytelling is great. Story asking is a very simple art to learn. And it's by looking somebody in the eye and saying, you know, you're, you're doing this with this company uh, right now. How did you get here? How did, and you, you go for the origin and the evolution story. Such a great question. And then you say, you know, tell me about, tell me about what, has, what was your best customer uh, engagement in the last two years? And these are things people are pent up waiting for somebody to ask them these questions. We want to tell our stories. And no one asks them this. And no one asks them. We're too intent on dumping our, our you know, our solutions, on our, yeah, our, solutions <laughs> uh, our jargon. So I... I love getting people's stories. I just love it. And and I'm an introvert. Um, I don't really like blabbing. I don't like small talk. I like really getting into it. So I love sitting down uh, in small groups or one-on-one and just asking questions and digging out stories because there's so much there. Sometimes in a half hour of stories, you can find the key. And I've done this multiple times. You can find the key and say, Here's actually what you ought to be doing, and here's your message, and and they're dumbfounded because I've I've seen it. I've, I've just I've, you can't read the label of the jar you're in. So I just by asking a few questions on the outside, I can say, well, I think what you're really all about is this, and they've been so immersed in their own forest and trees that they don't see it, and so. That kind of networking where you're really sort of reaching into people's minds and hearts and understanding their business and bringing insight is just – it's wonderful. I walk away from those meetings and I'm sky high. It's terrific. And it also conveys that they were talking about something of interest to themselves and you were listening. Yeah. <laughs> They're yep. so unaccustomed to people actually listening and paying attention. And I can't remember what other part of the book it was in. You said there was something where you said about – who is your ideal customer or who is it? Yeah, it was a question you might yes. ask. Yeah. In, a, in When you're networking with somebody uh, and you're one-on-one, either at a networking meeting or lunch or whatever, uh, one of the things you eventually want to ask is, uh, you know, tell me what your ideal customer would look like. Because if I'm going to refer people to you, I want to refer the right people. And that question yeah. Uh, just is is unbelievable. It opens the floodgates of of you know attachment and advocacy to you, because you've actually indicated a willingness and a desire to be a referral advocate, and you're also helping them articulate something they maybe haven't really articulated for themselves, which is who is my ideal customer. Yeah, and it makes me think that at that point they might take more interest in you and be willing to maybe help you out too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Steve, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? <laughs> Love your pigeonhole. <laughs> Identify it, define it, 
and live in it because there's tons of money in every niche, in every pigeonhole, tons of money. You don't need seven and a half billion customers. So figure out your best customers, your best offerings and love that and run with it. And it sure makes it easier for everybody else to know what you're all about too. Pigeonholes are stuffed with cash. That's correct. And that concept, if I had to guess, is probably the biggest one or it may seem the most counterintuitive for businesses to deal with. And back to your fellow Central Tennessee uh, author, David Baker, his book is called The Business of Expertise. And it really goes even deeper into that. So after everyone reads Steve's book, if you're interested in that, uh, he goes uh, even further into it, and his, it's been his whole whole career. But so that was uh, it was great to be reminded of that, and we've actually taken steps in our business to to focus more on a niche, and it's paying dividends. So <laughs> you guys must know what you're doing, Steve. What books have inspired your work and thirty year career? I would say. Above all of the books I've read, and I've read many, there are two that probably stand out the most. One is Now Discover Your Strengths, which was uh, written by Buckingham, was followed by Strengths Finders. And uh, this was relatively earlier on in my work career, and it was an earth-shattering, groundbreaking perspective at that point. What? You mean we should actually focus on our strengths and not our weaknesses? That totally turned around my perspective about everything, about career, business, that we need to focus on strengths. And it has shaped everything I do in my, my work and my clarity consulting work because the first thing I'm looking for is what are the strengths? The second thing is Seth Godin's uh, concept of the purple cow and mm. his book, uh, Purple Cow, which is how do you differentiate in the marketplace? And I believe those two things go together. You have to differentiate based on your strengths. And then you have to come up with a message that makes it clear what that differentiation is. So of the two books that have shaped my practice and my thinking the most, I would have to point to those two. Terrific. Wow. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? We've talked about two recent ones that I've really enjoyed, Talk Triggers by Jay and, and Daniel Lemon, and uh, and then uh, Marketing Rebellion by Mark Schaefer. Uh, those are the two that I have most enjoyed uh, recently and uh, that I think have the, the most timely and well-documented, well-researched ideas about where marketing is going or should be going. Well, Steve, I would say me too. <laughs> I've, I've interviewed both of them and we'll include links to their interviews on your episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. But the reason I say that, uh, those are those are excellent books, is the listeners I've heard from uh, mm. talking about those two books. So they really are terrific. And you know, both of those authors, like like some others, they're not writing a book to be writing a book. They're writing a book where there's either been some big challenge or problem and they couldn't quite figure it out and, and they've gotten their arms around it. They're not just, uh, it's not like they have a 10 book deal. They're just trying to crank out one like maybe a mystery writer would. 
No, they, that's that's they, correct. These are these are gentlemen that wrestle with big questions, and they're also friends. I've known both of them for years, and uh, have valued their uh, input and discussion and companionship along the way. So uh, these are quality people. They're not just abstractions to me, and and I it makes me very happy to see their work and to see how they've each developed and evolved in in their careers. So that makes makes these books to me even more valuable is that these these are just individuals that are incredibly high quality. They are and they're very very smart guys, but you know what else? They're just as nice as they are smart. If you ever yep. get a chance to the listeners, if you ever get a chance to see them speak or or get to meet them or just reach out to them on social media, uh they're 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 great folks. So yep. Steve, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? The easiest way to get the book, I, I published it on Amazon, and I made a short link to it, claritywins.org. Well, one word, Clarity Wins. So that'll go right to the Amazon page, and there's an ebook version and a paperback version. Uh, my website is claritifuel.com, F-U-E-L. Again, all one word, Clarity Fuel. Um, on Facebook, I have a page called King of Clarity. That's no surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Twitter, uh, I have been on for many, many years, and it's, it's S. Woodruff uh, on Twitter. So uh, if all else fails, just Google. You'll find me. used to be the first uh, Steve Woodruff that came up with some kind of cop-killing prisoner in California. I managed over the years to push him off the first page of Google. So, Oh, that wasn't you? No, that wasn't me. It was not my alter ego either. So, uh, you know, it, it helps at some point to get some kind of online Google juice in, yes, in lots of yes. ways. Well, Steve, we'll include links to your the, – there's a few sites, and you've even got another site where there's a link for resources where people can get resources related to the book. We'll include links to your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter handle, all the things, uh, the books that you've mentioned and the other interviews uh, on your episode's show notes uh, where everyone can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. And also, it's an opportunity for the listeners to reach out to you and connect with you. And heck, thank you for being a guest. So for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Clarity Wins. Get heard, get referred. The author is Steve Woodruff. Steve, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Doug, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that closes the book on episode 220 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome David Cancel to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the book he has co-authored with Dave Gerhardt, Conversational Marketing, How the World's Fastest Growing Companies Use Chatbots to Generate Leads 24-7, 365, and How You Can Too. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong. Oh, Steve.
you got to write another book so I can interview you again. <laughs> Man, do you do do you do interviews good? That gotten- was terrific, and your audio was perfect, and it was you know it's like it's like there was this sense of clarity in all your answers. There you. Go. I'm on to you, Woodruff. <laughs> <laughs>